0: Hello and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about open source sustainability for the long haul. Hope that's not a surprise to any of you. And for new listeners, welcome to this podcast. Normally I say here, where do we come from? Where are we going? Who are we? I don't know why I like quoting 19th century, 18th century French romantic painters, but I do. I do. Very excited to talk to our guest today. This is Richard Litauer, calling to you from Vermont. I am okay. Thank you everyone who sent messages about the flooding. We are all fine here. And calling from the other side of the world, where it is also raining in the Philippines, we have Ben Hur Pintor. Ben Hur, how are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So Ben Hur is calling from Quezon City, where he's the proprietor and founder of BNHR, which I assume stands for Ben Hur. Ben, can you back me up on that? Yeah, you got that. Nailed it. Cool. Also, the co founder and CTO of Smart City, also the co founder and CTO of the Civic Literacy Initiative, does some really cool work with mapping and the like. Very excited to talk to Ben Hur today. So, Ben Hur, just to get going, what is BNHR? BNHR, it started off as, for me, it started off as a
1: joke. I wanted to actually officially build something a business where I can help people with open source and open mapping, I was scratching my head for like a good name, something that sounded well, something that sounded right, something that sounded cool. And then I decided, why don't I just use the initials from my name minus the vowels? That would look good. And it stuck. I've been using it for, I think, the past four years now. And it's essentially a, my consulting business where I help I try to help people find value in open source and open data. Particularly my focus is on open geospatial or open mapping and also data literacy. But the core of my work is really a lot of open source stuff.
0: As a fellow person with a single person LLC, hard to find a good name. I think BNHR is a really good one, although it also sounds like a really awesome like logo you could make. It's just four letters. It's pretty cool. Tell me about what Smart City
1: is. I co-founded it with a friend. It's a local tech nonprofit here in the Philippines. So if VNHR is geared more towards consulting, Smart City is geared more towards helping civic society organizations, local governments deal more with sustainability issues. Our focus is to help these organizations, these local governments learn how to utilize open source, open data, open standards, so that they're able to provide The services that they need to their citizens, for example. So we put citizens at the heart of our services and also openness being the main focal point. We are, I like to say, an open by design, tech and data
0: nonprofit. That is super cool. So Quezon City, where you're calling from, is the most populous city in the Philippines with somewhere around 3 million people. I'm curious, Smart City probably is within a larger landscape of Tech nonprofits, tech trying to help out cities and municipalities in the Philippines. Can you talk a bit about why you saw the need for smart CT and what the that landscape looks like? What's happening in that area of the world? That's a really great question. The main reason really why we wanted
1: to build smart city was one, we noticed that a lot of cities and municipalities in in the Philippines were doing their own smart projects and not a lot of them were actually. Talking with one another, like interoperability stuff, using the same kinds of technologies, using open source. And a lot of the good examples of like smart communities and smart cities in our country requires a lot of budget. It's something that's not really sustainable or achievable for, say, a sixth class municipality that has the revenue that's a fraction of what a high An urban city is so smart city actually failed to mention earlier our focus is helping these municipalities that are fourth fifth sixth class who might not have the budget to to use to develop to buy proprietary systems and help them build more open sustainable cheaper alternatives and be very open about it our hope is that if we find a very good partner And we were able to show that this is viable for them, then maybe more and more of these smaller or fifth, sixth class municipalities will be able to do the same things, maybe use the same applications that we did, basically imitate how we were able to do it in that community. So there are a lot of smart projects in the Philippines, that's true, but we want it to be more inclusive. We want more people, more communities, more local governments to be able to be part of that smartness. Because if we don't, then the gap between the haves and have nots just increasing and increasing. And it's something that I personally don't want the future like that. So smart cities like trying to bridge that, trying to help in that
0: regard. cities in general have a lot of different applications which are relevant to them from in-house stacks that they're using at the city offices to tools that help voters identify potholes to municipal spending, all sorts of things. Where are you focusing with Smart City? We've tried a couple of things. The
1: first one we did, we had a partnership with a local LGU focusing on open data. The pandemic made that really difficult because we're, I'm based in Quezon City, but the LGU is somewhere in Visayas. So it would require me to travel by plane. And during What's the pandemic, LGU? a local government unit. Thank you. There in, in Visayas and travel was really difficult. So what we're focusing on right now is building offline first and open tools that are very easy for LGUs to to use so that they don't need to spend too much. And at the same time, to be able to have a baseline level of literacy when it comes to what does it mean to be smart? What does it mean to be open? One of the good projects I think that we have, we made this card kit. I like gamification. I like the idea of something that's tangible, really. So when it comes to learning, I want something that's tangible. So we developed this set of cards. We call it the Getting Started Card Kit, and it's essentially a card kit that we co-developed with a national agency for local governance and other stakeholders, wherein we created these set of cards that would help them learn about open source, open data, and what it means to be smart it's open source of course it's on github page i probably send the link later so you can check it out it's our well, one of the better projects that we were able to to accomplish because of the difficulty of the pandemic and we've been meaning for the past couple of months also to be able to test that on the field so to be able to have people actually use the cards you know, as as a learning tool as a community engagement tool and just as a way to really learn more about Open data, open source, and what do all these things mean in the context of a smart and open city or community? And that's one thing that we've done. Right now, we're looking also at creating a smart mobility board game. So we're in the process of designing again, something tangible, something tactile that different stakeholders can use to talk and communicate about smart and urban mobility. So there's a lot of people who talk about smart mobility. But the ones who are most effective usually aren't informed or aren't there in the decision making table. And we want them to, once again, better understand what does smart mobility mean for them and the difficulties also of trying to find a sustainable, smart and open solution to, to urban mobility. So right now we're focusing a lot on these really tangible, tactile learning solutions that we can provide uh, to local government units and also to different stakeholders that are fun and not too technical and also approachable. So I I think that's how we're trying to approach this for the next few months or the rest of the year.
0: Thanks for explaining that. There's been a couple of other projects that also use board games or card games as a means of getting an ear of stakeholders. So Jan Eineli, for instance, from publico.net has a little card game that you can play which helps out. There's also a really awesome board game I heard of in Montreal where the goal is to be as corrupt as possible and try to stimmy construction, which matches the situation in Montreal most of the time. No offense to Andy Kepicois, who are probably laughing as they hear that. I'm really curious, Ben, whether or not you have found traction already with making board games or making something tactile that helps policymakers understand what open source is and how you feel about the idea, how to say this. I often wonder if there's a drawback to making these sorts of games because they make open source seem like a kid's thing as opposed to a serious concept that can help save them money down the road. So I'm curious how that's worked for you and, and whether you see that as a drawback or not. Great question. As to traction, we're working on it. It's
1: been a bit difficult since the pandemic, of course. And like you said, I do understand like the apprehension, right? And we've talked with people as well who Some of them are very averse to like this gamified way of learning. But personally, I guess in terms of is this a drawback when it comes to trying to convince people that open source is a serious thing? What I'd say is depends really on who the primary audience of your solution, of your game is. I do understand that there is that risk, right? Makes it look like very childish in a way or very not professional. But the thing was when we were developing the card kit, our focus was more about having something simple that anyone can just flip, look at, and try to understand. So it wasn't yet to the point maybe that we're trying to sell you something that's overly professional or a product around open source. We're trying to build something that can help your citizens, maybe people from your departments who have never heard of open source before or have never heard of open data before, have the basic foundational understanding of what these things are in a way that is easy for them to understand, which is why the approach we take with that and with other projects that we're doing is really very user-centered. We did interviews with members of an agency that handles local governments. We asked them, what are the things? really that you find difficult to understand? What are the things that you want to learn more? How do we prioritize these pieces of information? And how do we present it to you in a way that you'll understand that so that later on, maybe we can build on that foundational knowledge and we can have a more higher level discussion as to what is open source? What is the value of open source and how do you utilize it? Because one of the things that I personally have had difficulty in is When you go to these places and you start talking about open source, a lot of them don't really know what open source is still, unfortunately. And it's difficult to explain that nuances of open source is just layers upon layers upon layers. So the idea for the card kit really was to simplify it, at least have a way to something that we can give them, something that we can use over a cup of coffee, something over we can discuss over break that would give them this idea of what openness is, what open source is, what open data is, and what can it do for them? What value can it add before we start really talking about the deeper stuff about open source and maybe trying to convince them, oh, why not adopt this technology? Why not adopt this standard? For me, the biggest difference would working in this side of the world and also in the global South. Is we in terms of the baseline capacity and the baseline knowledge in for openness, open data, open source, open standards, we're not there yet. So we really need the, these things that could help us even out for everyone else.
0: I like that the idea of moving forward and trying to educate people first before you implement solutions is smart. I'm wondering. Are you working with students at all? Do you have any partnerships with universities in the area to help get the next generation of urban planners and policy to know about open source? We used to,
1: again, with, with that past partnership that we had with, with the local government unit, we also partnered with one of the universities in their area. And then we also had time, I think last year, where we had student interns to help us in doing our projects and also just follow us along for them to have an idea basically of what it entails to work in this kind of space. For this year, we've been moving a bit slower, but a bit more in a way focused. We realized that we need to be able to focus on something very specific. Now that travel is allowed more in the Philippines, there are a lot of opportunities for us to do things that we weren't able to do for the past two years. So we want to sit down and be able to really think about what are these things that we can do, that we haven't been able to do for the past two years, that would provide better impact. Absolutely. like Students and universities are some of the people that we want to partner with very much. And a lot of the things that we do at Smart City also involves a lot of network building. So doing events with partners, with networks, and making sure that it's not just us
0: who moves forward,
1: but the network as well.
0: That sounds great to me, especially because cities are just a small part of the larger political infrastructure, right? You have neighborhoods, you have governments, you have regions. I'm glad you mentioned the Global South that really does affect how open source is used in your area. Good luck. I want to segue a bit. You're also the CTO and co-founder of another thing, which is the Civic Literacy Initiative, which also sounds like education. Can you tell me what that is and how that works?
1: Yeah. Civic Literacy Initiative, CLI, also play on the command line interface. (laughs) We're we're very new. We're establishing it this year together with my good friend and former colleague, the Open Knowledge Foundation. Both of us, we were working on the data literacy team, Open Knowledge, prior to to starting CLI. And really what we wanted to do was to shift the focus from siloed capacity building into something that is more impactful. Because we've been working in that space for quite a long time. And we've seen the advantages and the successes of doing this data literacy trainings or teaching people how to use with data, teaching organizations how to use with data. But in terms of the larger impact, we've seen that there are a lot of gaps that need to be filled. What we're trying to do here is to build something that would help support not just organizations, like civic site organizations who are on the ground, but also funders, philanthropic organizations, these organizations that provide this support to other organizations. We want to help them make better use or the best use of their data regarding capacity building activities. We've noticed that there are instances wherein maybe a funder is funding different things. And they might not be seeing, for example, the total impact of what they're doing or where they might have more impact. We want to be able to provide something like that. We're trying to build something that we're calling the Capacity Building Data Standard, similar to other data standards, such as the Open Contracting Data Standard, and even IATI International Aid Transparency. But we're trying to build this wherein capacity building activities related to data, related to AI. We want to be able to generate a standard data set from that, that would then enable not just an organization or a funder to identify what are the verticals or the sectors that we've worked with in the past, but how successful have we been? What are other organizations doing? And can we build this data set wherein it's easy for us to to find not just trainers, but also it's easy for us to identify where are the gaps that we might have missed, might have been focusing too much on these thing and totally forgot that there's this other thing that needs to be focused on and nobody's been doing that. So we're trying to do that. CLI is in a way three things. It's open data around capacity building. It's also open consulting. We use a lot of open source in the work that we've done previously. And it also builds on the School of Data Network that my colleague and I are both longtime parts of. So the School of Data Network, it has a long history. I don't want to go over it, but you can look for it schoolofdata.org. It's one of the reasons why I'm in my position right now. I was a fellow for School of Data in 2018. If you ask around people in the data literacy space, they know who School of Data is or what School of Data stands for. And we want to continue building on what School of Data started. That's where we decided to establish this to be able to do that. It sounds like a really cool initiative.
0: Not surprised it came out of the Open Knowledge Foundation. They do amazing work and super, super awesome stuff in general. And a lot of initiatives have come out of partnerships with them or out of people who've gone through them. That's how I got into open source in the original times anyway as well way back in the day. I'm curious about the congruences between open data, open knowledge, and open source. It's not always the same circles, And I'm just wondering what your perspective is on how open data has informed your work on open source and what you see as the sustainability of open source in the Philippines and how that looks for you. So if you've noticed, I dip my toes in a lot of places
1: in the open movement. You're absolutely correct. There's not always 100% intersection between the people doing open data, the people doing open source, the people doing open hardware, open anything really. For me, the journey started with Linux and open source years ago. I absolutely enjoyed the freedom that I got from open source and from Linux. And since I think 2012, 2013, I've been primarily daily driving a Linux machine Just so happened, it came natural, I think, to me, to pursue other avenues in the open communities. Back then, probably in the Philippines, there's more intersections here. It's a bit more tight-knit. I do open source advocacy. I also do open data advocacy. I also do open mapping advocacy. And most of the time, the people I meet in those three circles are in the Philippines, basically, are the same people. I think it's because we also follow the same journeys. We probably start with open source, then eventually that leads to maybe open mapping because you use OpenStreetMap or you use QGIS, which then leads you to open data. Because OpenStreetMap is open data and it just becomes essentially a part of what you do. That's, I think, why I tip my toes around around all these different parts, communities and the open movement. I feel like there's a lot of things that I can learn from each of them. And there's also a lot of things that I don't want to get from this movement and apply that to another movement. Because all of these movements have their own clicks, have nuances, and have, or they aren't always 100% good. There's controversies also in all these different movements, etc. So I think like being just part of all these communities allows me to have a more holistic view of the open movement in general and where it's going. And in terms of the Philippines, it's a very tight-knit community in terms of especially open data and open source, open geospatial, open mapping. And what that allows us to do is to consolidate some of these communities and to really try to build more sustainable ways for us to push for openness in our country. It's not as easy as I would hope. So many other factors involved, but I'm very proud. of of like the open community, especially the open mapping community in in our country. We have a very vibrant and very diverse community. And a lot of them also are, you know, advocates for open data. A lot of them also are advocates for open source. So in my case, it started off as basically just me getting into Linux, learning about open source, then doing some open mapping, open geospatial, real digging the the freedom that I had from using that. And then eventually that led me into my fellowship at School of Data, which then led me to my data training lead role at Open Knowledge before I left. And then my fellowship at Open Climate earlier this year, which is where I think you found me. So it's become this journey of just me going around and trying to learn and see what values the open movement can add into the different things. And the open climate thing was a very good experience for me earlier this year. In a way, the different things that I've been doing over
0: the past few years in the open space. Sounds like a really awesome arc. And I agree with you that a lot of people do start by doing open source, by you know installing Linux and like, oh, this stuff's like this. Oh, that's what open source means. Oh, I need to do some cool mapping stuff because that's lacking in my community. It's like, I don't have abilities to do these sorts of things. Let's, Oh, what's open data, blah, 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 blah. I'm curious. It's a lot of work to do that. It takes a lot of time and it takes a certain type of personality who is able to easily learn and ingest all these different types of communities and figure out all these different types of code, how to learn them. And it seems like a very particular type of person is able to wear many, many hats. Do you think that this is making it harder for people in the global south, in developing communities, developing countries to get into the open space because they have to be able to learn all this context before they're able to do anything effective? Whereas, say, if you're in New York City, you could just go into Angular and do Angular stuff without having to learn about open knowledge, without having to learn about open data. You'd be like, oh, cool, I focus on this part of the ecosystem and that's it. Does that sound correct?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree that it's much, much more difficult to get into the open space if you're from the global south for a variety of reasons. If you think about it, what are the big open source, open data companies in the world and where are they located? Where are they usually found? Who do they usually get? We need a lot more support here in the Global South in terms of making sure that people know about open source in the first place. And two, people are acknowledged in terms of the work that they do in in, in the open source community and the contributions that they've done. In this regard, I really love how inclusive and diverse OpenStreetMap has been, especially in terms of making sure that voices from communities such as mine in the Philippines, in, in Southeast Asia, in the Caribbean, in Africa are heard. And I think that's very valuable for a global project, not just to be based on one point of view from one side of the world and to be fully open and global. And to go back to your question about Does it take a certain kind of person doing all of those things at the same time? I feel that it does, but I also feel that in terms of being able to contribute and use and advocate for open source, you don't need to do all of those things. You just need to find something that you as yourself can give to the project to help sustain it in a way. What I'm trying to say is there's a lot of other things that we can do to help support open source projects, aside from just what people from maybe the more developed Western side of the world think like, yo, you send a lot of PRs, you edit a lot of code, and that is fine. I mean, without them, without people putting in sometimes unpaid volunteer work to make these applications work and you know, be good, we won't have them. But at the same time, there are communities, there are people who May not be providing development work, but they're critical in maintaining or ensuring that people are aware of these applications or the software that the community is engaged. There are a lot of things beyond just code that people can offer. And I feel like in our side of the world, there's a lot of opportunities for those kinds of things. Building communities, making sure that people are aware that these things exist. People have knowledge of of these things because at the end of the day, you don't have users. Your software, your be it open source or proprietary, will die. And I think that's one way I look at it. I'm not totally a developer, although I provide support, technical support to clients who use open source projects. I develop plugins every now and then for applications. But I think of myself more as an advocate and supporter. I share news about the space. I try to get people excited about open source, about these projects. And I try to encourage them to give open source a try, get into open source communities. And those I think are the kinds of contributions where you don't really need to know all of these things about open source, all of these things about these applications, but something that you can do and contribute to the health and long-term sustainability of a project.
0: Thank you so much for your context. Everything you said makes sense to me and I really like it. I like, especially that it's not just about sending PRs to projects. It's much more than that. That's great. I would also argue that you are a developer and I don't see any reason to say you're not a developer if you do plugins and the like, just you seem like one to me and I'm pretty naive and don't know much, but I know that. So I want to ask about another project you have real quick. We are running up on time, but I think we should have some time for this, which is Pista Ng Mapa. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah,
1: Pista Ng Mapa or Festival of Maps is a culmination again of years of working and building this open mapping community in the Philippines. So essentially it's our local version of the PhosphorG conference. So the free and open source software for G Spatial Conference. It's our local version of that. But the thing that we've done is it's not just Phosphor G enthusiasts who who join it. It's also in a way our local state of the map for our OSM community here in the Philippines. It's also a place for people who just like open, open data, open source. And it's gone through such an amazing journey because the very first part of it really it started in, in twenty twelve. It wasn't pista ng mapa back then. It was just a very tiny phosphorgy meetup that was attached to a bigger academic conference in our university, the University of the Philippines. It has a large conference and the foss g event was a small side event made by a few volunteers that we just want to share with people what is QGIS. At that time, I think Open Layers was a bigger web mapping library than the Mapbox wasn't there yet, I think, and So We just wanted to share all of these things that we enjoy to others. So it was like a free event that people could join as part of the academic conference. It happened like that for I think seven years until 2019. And in 2019, a lot of the communities started to think that maybe we can have a bigger conference, a conference of our own. And Istanang Mapa was born. It was the first, I think, conference that really focused on local open mapping and open data and open geospatial. And the thing I'm most proud of is it's 100% free and open. And when we say free and open, we mean there's no registration. We do limit the number of people that could get the swags and like the free meals and snacks, but you don't need to pay for any registration to join. As long as you're there and you want to, to, to hang out, you're very much free to attend. We did it in Dumaguete City in 2019. During the pandemic, we held two online events. And then just last year, in partnership also with the Asia-Pacific Hub of the Humanitarian OpenStreetMap Map team, we had a five-day conference made up of two days of Pista ng Mapa and another two days of State of the Map Asia, which was the biggest Pista so far. And still, it was absolutely free and open. People just need to go and they want to attend, they can, they can attend. And I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud of about it. We try to make it as inclusive as possible we try to make it as approachable as possible and as much as we can limit the friction for people who just want to join just want to to hang out with like-minded individuals and we've been able to sustain it through sponsors over the past two years hopefully we're we can continue that we're planning another pista ng Mapa this year we usually hold it in november and this year, we're holding it at Kloban City in later around November's. So if any of you are in the Philippines and around that area at that time, look for us. we will probably put the website up once you have more details about this year's conference. And I'd say it's a very successful conference because of... The effect that it has on the community side of things. Especially last year, we did it in a university and we had students, like it was their first time learning about these things or they became really excited and interested to learn more about open source, about open mapping. And now they're becoming more active in the local community, in the local scene. So it's like trying to build this snowball, of just getting more and more people into this thing. And then hopefully we get critical mass and like people start using open source, even without you telling them, oh, have you heard about open source? It's just become something that people just do. I'm really proud of it as one of the projects that I'm a part of almost every year since its inception. Really proud of what it has done. And I'm looking forward really to what it can do more. This year, we're having a a bit more of a hands-off approach. So the core team who's been managing it for the past few years, we decided to give other communities a chance to host it and us being more of an advisory role and i think that's what we're planning to do moving forward making sure that aside from just having the pista in our case our partners are universities more of these universities have the opportunity to host their own pista ng Mapa conference every year so fingers crossed we have another successful one this year and again open invitation to anyone who, who will be in the philippines around that time around the later area just look for our website. And once the registrations are up, feel free to register. And we'd love to have you this year.
0: Excellent. Thank you. You can find that at Mappa. that's P-I-S-T-A-N-G-M-A-P-A.org. And that sounds like an awesome conference. That sounds super, super fun. Love it. Ben, we are running up on time. Where can people read more about your work on the webs? You can find me
1: online. My website is at bnhr.xyz. My page is on Facebook. It's also facebook.com slash bnhr.xyz on Twitter, bnhr dot xyz, and also on fosterdon or on Mastodon, essentially, fosterdon.org slash at bnhr dot xyz.
0: We'll also have those links in the show notes. So you can obviously go to podcasts. It's the same oss.org for those and also for previous episodes that we've mentioned today, like the ones with Jan Einelly or with OpenStreetMaps. Uh, with Alyssa Wright and Maggie Crawley. So do check those out. Ben, thank you so much. Don't leave yet. Now it's time for Spotlight, the part of the show where we highlight projects, people, things that we think have either helped us out or just need a little love. Traditionally, the host goes first. So I'm going to spotlight a book I've just read, Legends and Lattes. If you like fantasy worlds and you get tired of always having a quest and you just want to like have a cafe in a cool city, kind of like a Discworld book, but like, more chill, maybe with a slow burn romance, and maybe an orc who just wants to figure out how to serve coffee to the people, do check out Legends and Lattes. It is a heartwarming book that is an easy read that I read in like one day, and I regret that because now there's no more to read. Highly suggest this incredibly silly, warm book. I don't think it deserved the Hugo nomination it got, except that it was rather unique, but definitely worth the cost. Thank you, Travis Baldry, for writing it. Ben-Hur, what's your spotlight today?
1: Yeah, I'll be more traditional. I'd like, I'd love the Spotlight QGIS, previously known as Quantum GIS before it became QGIS. It's probably my most used application. And if you're into open mapping, if you're into Open Geospatial, if you just want to do cool visualizations with anything that you can plot, it's 100% the thing for you. I think I have a YouTube video on it where I show how it can be used to visualize basketball. Because my undergraduate and master's thesis were both about spatial visualization of basketball. And I utilized QG's a lot for that. And a lot of people were really surprised that you could visualize or map sports in a GIS. But yeah, if, if you're into that, you do check it out. I'd love to see more people do work on non-traditional uh, spatial visualizations like soccer, football, uh, sports, etc.
0: That sounds like a really cool thesis. <laughs> Super cool. I love that. Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, there's a few things you can do. One, go to podcast.sustainedoss.org and like look at the episodes. Two, like it wherever you downloaded this thing. Apple, Android, F-Droid, whatever. Three, share it. Pretty obvious that one. Four, you could donate. Cost money to make these things. And we love having more donations. Go to opencollective.com slash sustain OSS to donate to the podcast cost. I would appreciate that five. You can let us know your thoughts. You can email podcast.sustainoss.org or hit us up on the social medias where we're mainly sustainoss OSS as a handle. You could also go to discourse.sustainoss.org if you want to come chat about the podcast at all. I think that's everything. Way too long of a postscript text. Ben-Hur, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is super great. Keep us updated on how it's going and good luck. Thank you, so.